sometimes also we have to break the, the sort of the bad news that a plan isn't feasible um, and it's, it's not nice to have to do. And I think this is this is true in any walk, walk, walk of life. If you want to make a leap into something new and with an element of risk, just when it comes to the amount of fact, uh, investment that's required, being informed cannot be underestimated. I mean, I would speak to an expert in any field if, if I was going to be moving into that field. And, and that's what we are. If you could give one tip to someone who was doing um, a feasibility study for a glamping site by him or herself, what would that be? Hello and welcome to the Glampitech podcast. Today I'm joined by Luke Pika, who's the research and reporting lead at Glampitech. His role involves looking into new markets and products, but his main responsibility is overseeing our feasibility studies. This episode delves into what a feasibility study is, why it's important for any prospective glamping site owner, what's included in our offering, and what you need to remember if you're doing one yourself. As ever, I hope you enjoy and find value in today's episode. Hi Luke, how you doing? Really good, thanks. You good? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on. Um, so you're the research and reporting lead at Glampitex, which is, uh, I think you've been newly promoted. And we're going to get mm-hmm. into that um, in, a, in a little bit. But to start with, I'm led to believe you've had a bit of an interesting career. I mentioned once that you worked in a, you ran a jazz club or something like that. So just just briefly yeah. to start with, can you just give us a, a run through of your background and um, and your career before Glampitex, please? Sure thing. Um, I so I started out with like a quite a, a, a decent career in um, sort of promotions and uh, and hospitality management. Um, managed some some nightclubs in my younger years, um, live music venues. Um, originally, it was more kind of uh, club nights, DJs, live bands, and, and big acts as well. And pretty much most of the acts. That were big in the early noughties, sort of late nineties. I've kind of come through places that I managed, um, and then after that, as I again gradually sort of got a bit older, started to move into um, slightly more uh, sedate um, <laughs> places. Managed the the jazz bar for a number of years as well, um, and then um, after that, uh, transitioned into a, a research job, um, doing some um, media monitoring. And then uh, took over the running of uh, the team there, and uh, had done about ten years of um, of sort of research um, and management at uh, at that company, working with like government agencies and um, quangos and charities, and that kind of spiked my interest in, in this kind of work. So um, not not the, the most obvious career path in, into doing what I do now, but. Um, Certainly, the uh, the you know my work in media monitoring and researching in there is is subject matter is different, but it's broadly quite similar to what we're doing now. Um, and a world away from uh, from getting to listen to live gigs every well <laughs> every night. I mean, six nights six nights a, a week, uh, potentially three shows a night. So um, my, my ears ring less now. <laughs> well, sorry to the listeners, but just indulge me slightly. What are some of the the, the bands that you saw at your Gigs. I mean, I mean from, from when we started, I mean, we, we've had the Strokes, we had Trans right. Ferdinand, Kaiser Chiefs, 
all those bands that were kind of coming up. Um, and then like, you know, bands that I love, like LCD Sound System or TV on the radio and bands like that, that we, we managed to put on. I mean, DJs wise, I mean, take your pick of anybody that was kind of big in, in that era. But I mean, like David Guetta played when nobody really knew who he was. Um, I mean, we had just everybody. I mean, like I, I could go on for for hours, but that's that's a different podcast. I'd probably, you know, slightly. Uh, I think I'd have stuck different. around in that career. <laughs> but, um, uh, right. Again, you can, you can only do it for so long before uh, before you go deaf. That, that's, yeah. that's the main one. Okay, right. So obviously, you're as I said earlier, you're now the research and reporting lead. You did have a, a slightly different job title when you first joined. I think what was that, and then how did this promotion come about? Well, again, when I started with the company, it was, everything grew so fast. So officially when I came in, um, I was a feasibility expert and then that changed to a research and reporting expert, I believe, um, as we added more um, kind of responsibilities and started to look at products outside of um, the feasibility studies themselves. Um, and then we, it would have been about three months ago now, I was, I was brought to research and reporting lead now, I mean, it's one of the, it was, a, you know, uh, great news and super happy to have received it. But as uh, I came in from, you know, I had a management background anyway, so I pretty much always tried to carry myself in that sort of lead role. Um, if, if there wasn't one when we, we first started. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's great to get that recognition. Um, but I kind of feel that, you know, it, it, it was a, a role I was maybe performing sort of, yeah, you you you're definitely leading leading that side, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes I can't help myself. Yeah, so obviously a big part of your role is the feasibility studies, which we're going to devote uh, a lot of this podcast to. But um, just just before we do that, um, what kind of things are you researching and reporting on in your in your new role? Um, aside from the feasibilities, we're we work or we're working on development of a, a couple of new products. Um, we have started to put together um, the, the framework for a, a business plan service, which would be catered to uh, customers who are looking to provide a, a, a business plan to planners, um, which is something that I think can be quite daunting for a lot of people. Um, that, but at the same time, the business plan isn't necessarily the, the style of business plan that you would take to the bank. It's, it's more of a framework and an, expo an explanatory business plan that does have facts and figures in it. It, it does, you know, provide a, a pretty broad overview of what a business, um, how a business would operate. But it's really tailored at the moment to um, to satisfying planners and uh, where necessary. And that's something that we're looking to help out on. And um, we've also um, started looking at uh, helping out with land buying because a lot of customers are coming to us asking you know what sort of land should we be looking at you know where should we be looking and, and using our expertise um, of the various kind of local plans and success rates in, in various different council regions to try and provide a, a product where we can vet a lot of land for clients but these are all again works in progress uh, and always ever evolving so we're spending a bit quite a lot of time working on stuff like that also you know starting to look at some international stuff where, where possible but um the majority of, of our day is still taken up by the, the feasibility studies i mean they've been really successful and there's a lot of demand for it so um i'd, I'd say four fifths of a week is uh, is still taken up on those okay then so what is a feasibility study for glamping so the feasibility study is uh, an analysis or a report that, that looks into 
the feasibility of an idea. Um, generally, the, the the client will come to us with a kind of outline of, of what they would like their uh, business to look like um, and a piece of land where they'd like to site it. Um, and we look at try and look at every aspect of that idea. Um, so it essentially is a, a, a huge, broad overview of every sort of aspect of, that goes into creating and setting up a business. I mean, we'll look at the planning probabilities, we'll look at the success rate of other potential, well, other um, applications within a council area that would fall under the same local plan or the same policies. Um, and all the way up to looking at the the figures, you know, we'll look at the, the costs of setting up a business and ultimately how financially successful it could be. Um, that is arguably the most important element when you're looking at the amount of investment that's required versus the return on investment that you would get. Um, but I mean, we look at everything else in between. I think I think it's important to emphasize the first bit where you said about the likelihood of planning success because when I first joined and I heard the, the term feasibility study I, I thought it'd just be like a page or two about you know here, here's what we think your cost might be and your profits yeah. and blah 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 but it's uh, well because it, it, it was it was it wasn't a page or two but it was it was a few pages I think when when Callum started doing them but you've since developed them over the last yeah. is, it, is it a year or so now probably just under a year um, and they really are is it tw mm -hmm. roughly 20 20 pages roughly is it um, I, think, I think at the moment the average page length gets up to about 26 to yeah. sort of 28 so it's clearly more than what I thought it was so how have you developed <laughs> it without giving away the secret source you know yeah in fairness to uh, to Callum and that they were considerably longer than uh, than a few pages when I, when oh, I uh, came in sorry but, Callum I mean <laughs> but the um I mean, I think at the start it was we were looking at about ten pages, and there were, you know, the, the the framework was there, and the idea was was definitely there when we came in. And um, basically, we've expanded upon each section, um, sort of doubling the amount of content in each bit. So we're now doing more, a greater deep dive into um, at least one planning example, which is broadly similar to the proposal that a client would be putting to us. We'll also look. Um, in at length in, um, into some others um, and uh, then try and paint an overview of the total number of uh, kind of approvals and refusals and stuff in an area. Um, we'll also then uh, we've created a new section on kind of um, a deep dive in the local plans. Now this can be quite complex, often councils have multiple plans in operation at the same time, potentially new plans um, being drafted or a sort of consideration stage, which may um, come into effect before a proposal would go in front of planners. So we look at all that um, and, and that section has expanded considerably. And um, we've also added in, um, you know, sections on sort of the land designations and the, the circumstances around the land, be it, you know, the flood zones or, um, and, and looking at other sort of details associated with the land, um, possibly um, there could be rights of way issues, for instance, which we'll, we'll uh, we'd look at and, and explain how that would potentially affect um, a proposal from a planning perspective and also an operational perspective. Um, you know, all, all these things um, 
every site's different, every proposal's different. So we try and look at every aspect of it. But I mean, we've, you know, it's had a, it's had a bit of a re revamp as well. We've got some new sort of graphical um, representations of, of uh, probabilities and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's ever growing. It's, it's mm. constantly evolving and, uh, you know, it's, and it will, um, part of it, stems from the uh, the feedback that we receive from sales um our team do a post visibility call with every client where they'll discuss the the outcomes of the report and that will regularly get fed back to us and we use that to continually evolve and try and refine the reports to be exactly what the client requires um and, and that's ultimately what it's about is trying to provide as accurate a picture as possible of um you know the feasibility of an idea but also to make sure that there's there's no stone left unturned as far as as far as the clients are concerned, that there's um you know we're not we're not missing out on on anything that any questions that they're they're going to have and obviously every case is different and, and sometimes we'll have very specific questions that that might not be covered in in the feasibility study but they'll always be covered in, in our sort of aftercare you know when uh, when they speak to to our team about the results of the feasibility study and and we can continue um, to investigate if required. Yeah, you stole the words out of my mouth when you said it's an ever an ever evolving process. You know, um, you are you are there, and I know you've been working hard at giving them a bit of a makeover. And I don't know how far along that is at the minute, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's the that's getting a facelift. Certainly, that's in the design phases. Um, but um, I, I can I couldn't give you a date on on when uh, when we'll be. Uh, actually implementing them um it'll be an iterative process um you know as we roll that out as well because you know it's everything changes and, and uh the, you know, the amount of space that'll be required the the sec the, the size of sections and stuff like that will needs to be quite quite flexible so we're we really want to um we, we want to make it you know spice it up a little bit in its look but really ultimately it's the content that matters and it's the content that the clients are, are interested in and paying for so um it's it's more important that we make sure that was right first which is why it's been our primary focus but now because we're we're happy with um the the amount of content that we're able to put in and the, and the feeling that we're over delivering in that regard that now we're able to shift our focus to the kind of secondary things of, of how it looks you know yeah and what one thing i think that's important about any kind of feasibility study whether it's with us or with another company because there are other companies that that do them we don't want to publicize it too much but there are um we think ours are the best obviously and the best value for money but there are others uh, and also you know you might do it yourself um i think one thing that's important to establish after you've done it is the next steps and we, we, we sort of uh, point people towards the next step. Some people we think can go straight to full planning. Some can go to pre-planning. Uh, again, I don't want to say too much, but you might look at um, how, how you might stand out from the competition and things like that. So um, how, important of, how much of an important part of the process is that to you in terms of um, giving, giving clients an idea of the next steps that we think they should take? Well, I, th I think it's hugely important. And I mean, it's ultimately it's advice uh, and we like to lay out kind of every option uh, as we see it um you know with or without glamtech um obviously we'd love to um have clients work with us and, and us be able to help them and deliver um, and bring their you know their vision into reality um 
but you know that that's not always the case sometimes people just want advice from us because we're experts and we've done this and uh you know they they might have you know any any number any number of reasons why they would want to do work without the architect um but we present our, our advice um as as concisely as possible um the next step section will be will, will really just be a, a kind of honest look at the sort of probability and, and whether we think um going straight to full planning is, is the best course of action some sometimes it isn't sometimes you need additional advice and many councils do offer that pre-planning um advice service and we can help make packages to to you know get the best um advice back from the council to also help um councils understand completely what a proposal looks like um you know some councils don't offer the service anymore um so we will try and provide that the feasibility is, to an extent is a substitute for that in some cases um but sometimes also we have to break the, the sort of the bad news that a plan isn't feasible um and it's, it's not nice to have to do but we look at it in a way that look it's it's if you're willing to invest a large sum of money in a in a prospective business, um, it's better to uh, you know have paid four hundred ninety seven pounds um, and get that information early, so you're fully informed, rather than going straight to full planning and spending ten times that amount potentially um, and uh, having you know hitting a snag which was unforeseen, um, which could have been avoided if you got um, advice from an expert. Yeah, I think it's it's almost like an insurance policy in that regard, isn't it? I, I mentioned we I worked on an info pack for the um, pre-planning services that we offer, and it is a lot more. It's a lot easier to take financially and emotionally if you do invest a, a bit of a smaller amount, just to be told no, rather than investing everything and then, as you say, hitting a snag and it and it and it doesn't work. So, it, hopefully, you get told. You know, we think it's got a good chance of of success, and you should go ahead. But it it is a bit of a, an insurance policy as well if it, if it goes the other way. It has to be said that it is rare having to break such bad news, but mm. but it has happened. Yeah. Um, and again, I, th I think there, there's obvious value in, um, in in doing it in this manner. Mm. Um, but you know, more often than not, there's there's a route to success um, for every for almost every application that we've um, or every proposal that I've had to consider. Um, you know, but there is a a kind of level of flexibility that I think in every planning application that is kind of required so while a particularly rigid idea might not be successful in every aspect of it with some minor changes or some sanding of the edges you know we we, we can normally point them in the right direction to to putting a proposal together that is more favorable to planners or favorable to the local plan or you know, um, consultees um, and other agencies that might have stakes in um, a planning application. Absolutely. Flexibility is a, a big thing that um, Ali mentioned in an earlier episode we did where he said, uh, we talked about the, the worst mistakes people make as, as glamping start owners or prospective glamping start owners. And uh, one of them was being too rigid in the thinking. And it, it's all well and good having this dream glamping start in your head going into the process, but it's like that you might, you might just have to adjust slightly and you've got to be prepared for that going into the process. And obviously a feasibility can, study can point you to, to, towards that or, uh, if if the cats have a problem when you go into pre-planning or full planning but you do have to be to be flexible um 
absolutely and you mentioned uh the earlier about how it's 497 pounds uh and i don't want to make this too much of a sales pitch uh and if you aren't interested in a sales pitch then please stick around because we've got a question at the very end for people who are interested in doing this kind of thing themselves um but we do charge what we think is a, is a really low fee for a feasibility study considering the work involved um and, and the product that we produce um yeah. why do we charge such a low fee and why do you think it's such a good value for money well for starters i think it's priced essentially as a loss leader i mean this is a, a an advice service that we provide almost at cost um obviously we want to you know start with those these first steps with prospective clients and carry it through all the way be it through pre-planning advice, pre-planning advice package, through a full um, you know, planning application, possibly through concept design, um, and we can support um, new prospective glamping business in a number of ways. I mean, I'm not sure you know, your listeners have all heard this before, but I mean, we'll do work with channel managers, we'll do you know work on marketing. There's there's a number of ways that Glampitech can help, but really the, the feasibility study, in my view, is is really the first. Um, evidence of the professionalism of of Glampitect and it's it's you know we, we that's again why I like to talk about over delivering um it is a very robust report that will look at every aspect of of uh of a, of a perspective proposal or plan um so and the value for money can't really be understated I think that the amount of investment that, that is required to create a new business is so considerable for for so many people that you and I think this is this is true in any walk walk, walk of life if you want to make a leap into something new and with an element of risk just when it comes to the amount of fact, uh, investment that's required being informed cannot be underestimated I mean I would speak to an expert in any field if if I was going to be moving into that field and and that's what we are and I think a lot of people um will do a lot of research um into and are, are capable of doing a lot of research uh into the feasibility of an idea and many of our clients might have a really strong understanding of elements of what goes into a feasibility so you might have put in numerous planning applications before um, as, as a farmer who's maybe developed a lot of their land or you might also have a, a business background and have have a really strong understanding and grasp of returns on investment etc but the feasibility study covers all of that and it really is a kind of one-stop shop that goes from planning probability it looks at return on investment it looks at land conditions it looks at construction challenges it looks at really everything that we can we can think of every issue that we've encountered in the in the time that we've been doing this and that we've learned through our experiences of running our own glamping sites that um we really think it covers all the bases and there isn't really anywhere else where you can get that advice as a as a one-stop shop so really what you're getting for 497 is i mean obviously i have a very high opinion of it because we've invested so much in it and we put so much of our time into this um but i don't think it can be understated how much you're getting for your money yeah and for those who do want to do it themselves and they, they you know they're confident in their ability to do it themselves uh we want this to be 
a resource for, to help people as well, rather than just a sales pitch for Glampatech. So if you could give one tip to someone who was doing um, a feasibility study for a glamping site by him or herself, what would that be? Well, it's, it's a tricky question because there are there is a lot to go into and there's a, there's a lot to think about in that question. But I mean, aside from the flexibility thing, which I think we've already covered, um, because I mean, being, being flexibility, um, so being flexibility, excuse me, <laughs> being flexible um, in your approach to these things is invaluable. I mean, there's because flexibility is required really at every every stage and it's being flexible will give you a infinitely higher chance of, of getting across that finish line but but putting that to one side um something that i think people often underestimate is kind of contingency costs um we regularly see um kind of figures that that appear quite rigid and they very rarely factor in um contingency costs so we would always recommend um you know having a 10 percent contingency on any any figures that you're looking at because there's, there are almost always unforeseen costs to, to development um with the best will in the world um you know we we can estimate every element of it but so many of these things are kind of there could be a domino effect where where one unforeseen element of development might cause you to have to change things and again this goes back to the flexibility but in, in saying that as well a development on this scale all, can all, always has unforeseen costs, so always factor in at least a ten percent. I would say conservatively um, to allow yourself that that room. And if you don't use it, fantastic. That's extra money that you can use in marketing or furthering your business down the line. Maybe looking at a, a phase two, but always be prepared. Mm -hmm. And we'll put the. Um the contact details of Glampatech so you can speak to one of our sales guys if you are interested in getting a feasibility study but if anyone wants to contact you directly what's your email address please it's luke at glampatech.co.uk uh, um, and uh, yeah absolutely be more than happy to to be uh, to be contacted um, and uh, yeah um, we, we try and help with any questions that you would have even if it's not um, specific to the um, the commissioning of a feasibility study. Um, sometimes people like to know just what information is required before they um, jump in, and uh, we are, you know, obviously really, really happy to to be able to have a chat whenever possible. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. No worries at all. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Glampatech podcast. I hope you enjoyed and that you found value in today's episode. If you did, feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps us move up the podcast rankings. Thank you.